You're listening to In Her Voice, a podcast brought to you by Women in Hollywood. I'm your host, Melissa Silverstein, and this podcast is dedicated to supporting and amplifying the voices of women who work in the global entertainment business. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. My daughter said, Mother, couldn't you write a book about teenagers who fall in love and do it, and nobody has to die? And I thought, yes. If you are like me, you read a lot of Judy Bloom books growing up. While Judy was able to connect with kids in a profound way, the woman herself has been somewhat of a mystery. Judy Bloom Forever solves that mystery. We learn about her childhood in New Jersey, the devastating loss of her father, how the rigid roles for women in the suburban world chafed on her, and how writing saved her. This movie is a reminder about how lucky we are to have Judy in our lives. Here's my interview with the directors of Judy Bloom Forever, Leah Walchuk and Davina Pardo. The film premieres on Amazon Prime on April 21st. Hi there, Melissa Silverstein from Women in Hollywood. Hi again. And hey, nice to see you. Hi, Judy. I mean, why not? Right, right. <laughs> I mean, Judy Bloom has this incredible body of work, 29 books, where she normalized so many aspects of growing up, you know, from puberty to sex to relationships with parents and friends, loss and grief. She spoke to kids in a way that in some cases they've never really been spoken to before. She was a truth teller and she had the most extraordinary relationship with her readers and her readers have an extraordinary connection, a deep emotional connection to her. It felt like such a, an important way to talk about coming of age. Mm-hmm. I mean, her story alone is important and then alongside that the story of her readers there's so much there it feels like when you watch the movie i watched it again you know it's judy coming of age along with her everything she's writing even though she's an adult has children getting divorced she feels like she can completely relate to these kids and i still don't know how she did that do you guys know from spending time with her it is her gift it is her gift that she can reach back into her memory and find that feeling that she had as an 11 year old and translate that feeling as herself as an 11 year old onto the page as her character as an 11 year old and then pass that feeling onto the reader who is either 11 year olds themselves or remembering what they were like as an 11 year old. It's this soulful meeting of the child within all of us that she's able to write about and access. So talk a little bit about you were two directors and how do you work together I think for the first several months, a lot of it was trying to sort of get on the same page and have a shared vision so that anyone could come to one of us at any point with a question and get an answer, like not have to consult (laughs) the entire team. We always laugh that like we spent a lot of time on the phone working, talking through things, but also just listening to each other breathe like while working. (laughs) I mean, it was just constant contact. (laughs) That was so important (laughs) for us to be able to work together during COVID when we couldn't actually be together physically. What would you say that shared vision was that you guys came together on? I think we always knew we wanted to tell this feminist coming of age story of a woman who fought back against societal expectations to find her voice. And in finding her voice helped generations of readers find their own voice. I just wanna say about 
you know, two women directing together, every director should have a directing partner. I think it's just, I think the constant communication and gut checks is helpful, but also I feel like it helped the film be more intentional in every aspect, you know, every frame of the film. I feel like we thought about so deliberately and I know that every director is deliberate, of course, mm -hmm. but there's something about like having that conversation that allowed us to really make sure, you mm -hmm. know, you had to like fight. If we had any difference of opinion, you really either had to fight for what you really wanted or realize like, wait a second, there's a different place we can get to that would actually be better mm -hmm. for the film. Like an accountability partner. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Very nice. And you had many women working on this film. And was that intentional? Yeah. Yeah. You met Marcella or Marcella mm -hmm. Garcia. Steingart, our wonderful producer. We had a very close group of collaborators. There's something about Judy Bloom that just engenders this sort of openness and honesty in people. So from the get-go, people were telling stories about their own awkward adolescence or you know, embarrassing stories from childhood. I mean, people spending time around Judy and just thinking back to Judy Bloom books brought out this like just lovely empathy in the group. Yeah, she's like an empathy meter. And <laughs> I, think, I think we need that so much nowadays. So you reread all her books, what, what, cause you had time during the pandemic. Talk about which one moved each one of you on this adult read now. Well, I, I'm sure you know that I didn't actually read Judy Bloom books as a kid when I was that. reading. Judy's books in the spring and summer of 2020, I was realizing how much I missed out on as a kid growing up in the South, being told that her books were naughty and mm -hmm. her books were inappropriate. And I wish I had been the bad girl who had said like, you know, F you, I'm gonna read these books anyways. But I wasn't, I was a good girl who did what I was doing. I was also, I internalized all that shame surrounding periods and puberty. So I did not, I didn't wanna read the book about the girl who wanted to get her period. Anyways, when I was reading her books for the first time during the early months of the pandemic, Tiger Eyes was the book that really moved me. It's such a beautiful portrait of grief and loss and longing and also hope. And I think it's the most beautifully written of her books. I think an overwhelming feeling I had when I read them again was how groundbreaking they were. Because when you're a kid, you're not thinking, wow, this is revolutionary, this is groundbreaking, this, this woman's a trailblazer. You're just sort of in the world of the characters in the book. And so rereading the books just gave me a whole new appreciation for what she was doing, for how good the writing is. I mean, the writing is just so sharp. The dialogue is so good and so realistic. And the details are, yeah, just completely She's so radical. Like, yeah. and I didn't think of her as radical when I was reading her. It was just really normal. And right. the correspondence that she had, I didn't know anything about that until the movie. And I was just like, oh man, I could have written to Judy Bloom. <laughs> so right? Oh God, I didn't even think of writing to Judy Bloom. But like, it is so beautiful. Talk a little bit about like why that was such a central part of the story. I think from the beginning, I mean, we even thought about titling the film Dear Judy or Dear Judy Bloom because we knew how important those letters were to Judy, but also to tell her story in the most truthful way, we had to tell the story of her readers and the readers who reached out to her in the most vulnerable moments in their childhoods are the ones that we felt like 
you know, she feels the most protective of and the most proud of having been there for them. And we wanted to make sure we captured that in the film. I mean, the two women that Judy introduced us to, Lori Kim and Karen Chilstrom, who shared their stories so openly with us and who allowed us to use some of their letters on screen in the film, those two women were extraordinary. That was one of the most unexpected parts of making this film was getting to know them and getting to see how audiences have responded to their stories in the film. I think people go in as Judy Bloom fans thinking they're going to get a little more of a sense of who Judy was and get remind themselves of what her books were like. But getting to know Lori and Karen, it's just an entirely, it's a transformative experience, I think, for an audience member. And it was certainly for us mm -hmm. as directors. The letters say so much about Judy and her work, you know, about the impact of the work on an individual level and also a collective level, that kids felt safe enough with her. Right. She, she was the person you, kids in desperate situations were turned to. That it, it was Judy. I mean, it could have been anyone, but it couldn't have been anyone. I know, right? Was the one. It was a gift. And uh, I think that's that's what a lot of people will be left with when they see this movie is that she was the perfect vessel for this. Mm -hmm. I, love that. I love that word. And so I have to wrap, but thank you guys so much for your time and look forward to hearing what people think of the film when they see it on Friday. Don't forget to check out this movie on Amazon Prime as of April 21st. I'm really excited for this interview with Hannah Boss, one of the creators of Somebody Somewhere. The show starring the great Bridget Everett returns for its second season on April 23rd at 10.30 p.m. on HBO, HBO Max, or whatever else it is called now. I'm a super fan of the show. The show takes place in Kansas and is a story of Sam, played by Everett, dealing with her grief, her families, and her friendships, particularly with her friend Joel. It is a small show with a big heart that can make you laugh and cry within seconds. Hi, my name is Melissa Silverstein. I am yeah. the founder of Women in Hollywood and also just started this podcast called In Her Voice. Yes, I was just reading about it. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And thank you for taking the time to share this. I mean, the show is just, I was trying to write questions and I was like, how do I describe the show? So I guess my first question for you would be like, Hannah, how do you talk to people about this show? It's got so many things going on. Somebody Somewhere is about growing up and it's about coming back to your hometown. And it's we always say it's a coming of age story about a middle-aged woman, a woman who moves back to her hometown after the loss of her sister. And she makes friends with someone that knew her from high school and he sort of sees something in her that she hasn't been able to see or tap into for many years. And it sort of ignites this friendship. And then it sort of opens her up. And it's not a show where people make gigantic changes. It's very real and very much in real life where people aren't really making huge changes in every episode. It's like a slow growth, which is much like real life because yes. people don't change that fast. Right. And this is not a super therapy driven show and it's hard to change people, but it's, it's a, it's a sort of very human show and it takes place in the Midwest where I'm from and it stars Bridget Everett and Jeff Hiller and Mary Catherine Garrison. I hope people watch. I hope so too. Can you talk? <laughs> a, I mean, I'm going to do my best. Okay, good. 
<laughs> Can you tell me how you got involved with the show? So I am one half of a writing team. Paul Thoreen is the male counterpart of our two-person writing team. And we were actor playwrights and we had a theater company and we used to write plays for ourselves. And then we started writing plays for other people. We really liked sort of finding pals like Michael Cyril Creighton and people we'd see in downtown theater and sort of, you know, we would want to write something for people in ways that they hadn't been seen before. That was like a really fun challenge. We had done that for ourselves, you know, it, you know, acting is hard. So we'd sort of create roles for ourselves and then people. And then that led to eventually larger plays. And then one of our plays sort of adapted it years ago to a pilot after reading a bunch of Paul and I wrote a bunch of pilots for, for like a year. And we adapted one of our plays. And then we went to a Sundance lab and Carrie Putnam introduced us to Carolyn Strauss and Carolyn Strauss and Paul and I, we, we did this pilot that never got made. Then when Bridget Everett got a deal at HBO, Carolyn remembered us as these Midwestern writers. They were like, well, let's ask Ken and Paul about writing a show for Bridget. And they were working with the Duplass brothers as well. And they they asked us, what would the show be that you would write for Bridget Everett? And Paul and I, again, we're from this theater, Brooklyn, downtown world. And we had seen Bridget over the years and we're around the same circles. And we sort of, we, we were in awe of her greatness. And there was something about her sort of these Joe's Pub shows and Ars Nova fundraisers that she would just have this, like the comedy side of her was like nothing we'd ever seen. But then also how she would just sort of butt that against this heartbreaking honesty moment about either her life or especially in her Christmas songs, the, the way that she could go from like big titty jokes to heartbreaking Christmas songs. We were like, that's amazing. I've never seen anyone sort of teeter totter on that so quickly. And I think that's something that we we tried to translate in the show how great Bridget is at sort of balancing both, both of those things. And so we presented this pilot and Bridget really responded to that. And then we sort of kept going up the ladder and it was our first pilot that ever got shot. And we were happy with that win. And then we got picked up and then we, and as you know, from the moment that we sort of presented this idea to Bridget, she was entirely involved in shaping this because it's so personal to her, but it's not her life story, but so much of it is a collaboration with her and Carolyn and Paul Thorine, my writing partner and the Duplass brothers and HBO has been super hands-on in a wonderful way. And then we get to make this, this little show that I still can't believe we get to make it because it does feel very different and very special than other shows and get to spend a lot of time in this show with characters that you don't always see and storylines that you, like the way that we tell them, I think is, is really fun. It's not like a very story driven show. Uh, and it's really fun to tell. It's fun to make this show basically, because I feel like we are a little bit getting away with murder. Well, <laughs> I think what, I mean, there's so many things I like about the show, but these people in Bridget's life that are just unbelievably amazing characters, um, like her parents, I'm, I'm so sorry for the loss of her her father and I I only could watch two episodes because I I had to savor it like I have the new season and I was like oh I just don't want to watch the whole thing before I talk to Hannah because 
I really just, I couldn't do it to myself. Like I needed, I needed, yeah. I needed to like spread it out because I find it so joyful and so moving. Oh, I'm so happy. And Bridget, she's like singular. Oh, we're, she's just, I'm so happy. I'm so lucky that I get to work with her and build this with her because I do feel like there's like a bottomless cauldron of yeah. uh, talent. And yeah. this season, I like that you've told me I've only seen two. This season, I think is really, I hate to say the word special again, but I think it's a really special season. I think we went deeper and I think we I think it's a funnier season. I also think it's a sadder season. And mm-hmm. I feel like we just got to really go deeper on some things. Like you mentioned, we lost Mike Haggerty about three weeks, two weeks before production. And that was really, really heartbreaking. And uh, and they had such a close relationship. And he and was just... written into the show for this season? Oh yeah, oh. very much so. So we had to pivot after we sort of took a moment and there we decided we wanted to sort of dedicate the season to him and that they always had this wonderful connection and this season, you'll see that there, there is a depth of emotion in that area in, mm. of the father. And then there's some other things between Joel and Sam this season that I think we go deeper with. And also Mary Catherine and Bridget's sister relationship. Really, we spend a lot of time with them. I'm not giving away any spoilers, but. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I also don't want to spoil it. But I also, the title, Somebody Somewhere, who came up with that and how did it stick? We got the green light to write the season and we were supposed to go to LA to start a little room on like March 12th or something of 2020 Ah. and and it was everybody's got that story yeah everybody's like they remember where they were eating the communal you know sample in a grocery store at the moment that the, (laughs) the world came crumbling but yeah we were supposed to go to LA and start writing this season then and then we just the world stopped and we took we took a, a little bit of time and then we started doing some Zoom rooms. And so we had this room and we were trying to figure out the name. And the room at the time, we were throwing around somebody, we were throwing around somewhere. We just couldn't find it. And then when somebody and somewhere came together, uh, because it's a song title, because it's got this sort of universal global emptiness, but also hope in it, I feel like it felt like the right the really the right title for us and we couldn't sort of move past that and I feel like that's that's how I've always come to titles where or even like naming my son it's like when you hear it you're just like I can't move past that that's it so that was very exciting as a group to sort of land on that because it was untitled for a while your creative relationship with Paul in terms of you being co-writers and that seems to have been your writing I don't know if you're personally also partners or um Ah, I'm shaking my head. Interesting. So you're not because a lot of, you know, particularly male, female ones that I meet are, are partners in life as well as in writing. So we are partners in life, but not in that way. We are like creative partners uh, in life and it feels really right. And that's the, the, the relationship we were supposed to have. We had had a previous relationship when in our, you know, in, in college. And that was the, that was not our relationship. (laughs) And this one is of like, we're like family, you know, the show mm-hmm. has a lot of kids and family in it. And we are just really meant to be writing stuff together. And yeah, he's my best friend and like my cousin, uncle, grandpa. 
you're Joel and Sam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So talk a little bit about how you work creatively together in terms of how you write. Do you write something? Do you write together? What is, what so, is the creative process for you? It's pretty weird. You know, when we were in person for previous to this moment in time, we would write on the same screen sitting next to each other or the two computers next to each other. I think it's probably not like economically a great use of space, but we really like <laughs> being in the same moment together. And when we're stuck, we often sort of divide and conquer the same moments mm -hmm. and then sort of share them with each other and then do some kind of merging. But there really is not like a system that we have except the one that we make to facilitate the project we're on or the moment we're in. So we have sort of some strategies of how to move past moments that we're stuck on. Used to not outline as much as we do now. Now we really know where we're going to be and what we need. We work a lot quicker. We used to like develop plays for several years. Now we work on more than one thing at once. And especially like running the the season, it's like we'll be working on several episodes in different incarnations of a drafter and outliner this so now we can work on more at once but we're really working on it together we count we, we are kind of one thing and we we often don't remember who writes what which mm -hmm. I always think is funny um because it's sort of this constant it, it you know I've talked to other friends about this process before and it's the questions that you're arguing and doing sort of like trapeze in your mind. I think that we do those out loud with each other, but it's also amazing to have a partner in this process because it's a big job, but also it's, it makes it more fun or mm -hmm. when you're well, it's fun to be miserable with someone, which not on this project, I'm not, but um, <laughs> it's fun to be sort of in the weeds with someone else trying to figure out the, the escape room, you know, how to get out together. Yeah. That sounds lovely. And you both were playwrights. You wrote plays together too. Yeah. How has playwriting informed your transition to television? Well, it, you know, we started as actors and I feel like I'm glad that we know that side of things because mm -hmm. it made, we always had to sort of hear it in our own mouths to see if it sounded like a play or not. And we've taken that also to our television and film careers, which is if it sounds like a movie or if it sounds like a play mm -hmm. or it sounds like a TV show, then we don't really, we don't buy it. Um, so that's something that's been helpful to us from our, from our playwriting world. Because it's very embarrassing if you're on stage and you have to say something you wrote and it sounds like the way that people would never speak. But, but also I think that being a playwright gives you this freedom to break rules and break structure and not look at things with specific formulas and it's sort of a freeing, I think it's kind of, I feel like it's limitless. There are other mediums, I think, have some limits. So it, it, I'm very happy that that's where I started writing. I want to talk a little bit about the music and the singing. That is a big theme. And it seems that Sam Bridget's character, the singing voice, is something that she loves, but also terrifies her. I know that the singing is going to be more prevalent in this season. And Bridget's such like a powerhouse performer in real life. I don't think singing is a problem for her. So talk a little bit about how the singing became kind of one of 
the things for Sam that she had to overcome, like being comfortable with that. Well, I can't speak for Bridget, but from working with her, I know how important singing is to her. It's, it's where she's the happiest and we work with her constantly in the room. I mean, we work together every day, but mm -hmm. when music is involved, we check in sort of like with the Bridgetization of Sam's character. And we, ask and talk about sort of how is music going to work in this episode or how does this song come to be or what would that song be or oh we haven't had a, a musical you know because singing is sort of her superpower in this super realistic show and in real life Bridget grew up with a very musical family and so we really draw on her real life experiences and then her relationship as Bridget to how Sam might open up musically in a moment. And this season we deal with that in a very intimate way and she takes herself a little bit more seriously for something without giving any spoilers. But every aspect of that, we channel that through Bridget as a writer and Bridget as an actor and then Bridget as her own experiences. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does. I just find, I find that vehicle quite fascinating yeah. to use as a way for her to come of age. Yeah, using her voice in a multitude of ways and I would say first season was really about her overcoming like her grief for her the loss of her sister and the ending of that season was her being able to sleep in her sister's bed and then I would you know as I've been starting season two it seems to be about her really kind of trying to figure out how to trust herself and her in her voice in her singing as well as her voice yes. as as a person uh yes. seems so insecure at the same time as being so fucking ballsy yes um, yes and i feel like in a different show someone would move away to a coastal city or to a bigger city and try to like quote unquote make it but i feel like our show in particular is about staying in your where you're from and trying to make it and what does that mean and what does it mean to try to find your voice and you know we really try to make it like real life don't feel like people often figure themselves out quickly and that's the beauty of what HBO is letting us do with this show is that we can really take our time and keep it grounded but then also have someone like Bridget bust out and do these giant show stoppers but but we get them you know in a I was going to give away a spoiler, but we get them in different ways on our show. Thank you. I, want yeah. people, I really want people to watch. And okay, am I correct that you're going to be on Sunday night? Yeah. 1030. Okay. So like you could, you know, succession is like people watching succession and then they can roll right into to your show. Succession bury us. All right. That seems like a really I'm knocking good on block. wood. I'm and knocking that's a on good, wood. A good block. <laughs> Must see Sunday. I mean, you're in like prime real estate on I HBO. Can't believe it. It's like I can't believe it. I don't know until I turn it on and I hear the like bing bongs that I that we're actually doing it. I think you know, I, I it's all been sort of like this joyful, shocking, wonderful shocker to us. So until it's on this Sunday, I don't know. There's no dragons in it or you know yes. jets or anything like that. It's really yes. people just just dealing yes. with everyday yeah. life and the shit that comes the slog of everyday life yes and we're we're a little show yeah a Nobody's little show with a big of. big big heart <laughs> yeah. um, so for our last question I mean you know what do you want people to come 
come from the show? What do you want them to be thinking about, pondering when they watch your show? Um, I think I want people to feel good. And I feel like I want people to connect with these people. And it's an escape. And I hope that it just urges people to be themselves Mm -hmm. and to trust sort of their inner voices. And, and if not, that's okay. And to, if you don't have the people around you, like it's often sometimes a friend that can, you know, open you up and, and it's a journey. I feel like the show is a journey and I feel like life is kind of complicated and complex and I feel like I just hope people get some warmth from this show well thank you so much for this gift that you give us and I will encourage as many people as I can to watch it and thank you for having me don't forget to check out the season premiere this Sunday night on any of your HBO platforms thank you for listening if you enjoyed this episode We would love for you to share with a friend or better yet, follow us on Spotify and give us five stars or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Spreading the word really helps us reach as many people as possible. You can also subscribe to the Substack for the Women in Hollywood weekly newsletter of all content buying about women that is opening and streaming. You can sign up directly at womenandhollywood.com. In Her Voice is produced by Leonie Marsh. This is a Women in Hollywood Productions podcast. I'm Melissa Silverstein. Until next time, goodbye.